Welcome to Bewildered. I'm Martha Beck, here with Rowan Mangan. At this crazy moment in history, a lot of people are feeling bewildered, but that actually may be a sign we're on track. Human culture teaches us to come to consensus, but nature, our own true nature, helps us come to our senses. Rowan and I believe that the best way to figure it all out is by going through bewilderment into bewilderment. That's why we're here. So, Marty, I think there's a pretty good chance that our listeners are out there going, oh, wow, I have a lot of cultural messages in my head and Mm -hmm. it's not that easy to access the voice of my true nature. Yes. And I don't know, they might be thinking, is there anything else that I could do other than listening to this podcast to help me learn to listen to my heart? Well, I had this question. Even as a young child, I would say, I am not happy. And people would say, well, it's all in your head. And I'd be like, I know, get it out of my head. But nobody could really help me do that. And so um, in my 20s, I sort of made up a system to help me detach from cultural messages and connect with my true nature. And it ended up being my career as a life coach and then training people to do the same thing. And I think that, you know, it's just like people who feel the urge to heal themselves, help others heal and heal the world, Mm. that this this term life coach sort of slots into that in our culture. And people take the training to hang out a shingle and become life coaches. People take the training because it's like getting life coaching yeah you know and people also take the training just to learn to access their own true nature yeah it was originally just a access your own true nature course Mm -hmm. but when you've mastered that you really want to share it with other people and people want to be shared with and they will pay you money so if that's the way you want to go that's why it ended up being life coach training but it's actually wayfinder which is different. It's about finding your way by connecting with your true nature and and steering your own course. So if people are interested, you can Google Wayfinder Life Coach Training or go to marthabeck.com and you will find your way. Yes, you will. Hi, I'm Martha Beck. And I'm Rowan Mangan. This is episode seven of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. So you guys, I've been here with my calculator for a couple of hours, quite honestly, trying to figure it out to the best of my ability, and I've gotten nowhere. But I did see Marty skulking around earlier with her abacus, and I'm hoping maybe she's got the answer for us. Oh, oh no, that's that's an uncompleted project. I think you're I think you're talking about my ceremonial headdress. I've been beating it. Oh, it was not an abacus, but a head ceremonial headdress. I see. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you want to expand on? Well, I just I need more self esteem. Uh-huh. And you know, on <laughs> online, when you see p- pictures of people in ceremonial headdresses, they seem very, very solid and grounded in themselves. <laughs> I, I, I've really, I've often heard like if kids are being bullied at school or anything and having trouble with self-esteem, oh they're like, God. just bring in a ceremonial headdress, beadwork. <laughs> You'll be the coolest kid. It is, in fact, the answer to everything. We, we've got it. We've figured it out. We universally love. <laughs> No, it's not working. It all fell apart, so I'm just going to wear a top hat. I wondered why why the top hat today. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's kind of Lincoln-esque. Yeah, it's working for you. I, I, I don't know about the tux. I mean, it's it's well, surprising. It's helping. Oh. I will say that for it. Uh, so anyway, Ro, <laughs> uh, what are you trying to figure out these days? You know what I'm trying to figure out as I'm we not. head into a kind of election primary kind of season it's I'm thinking a lot about how much news do I let into my little noggin you know Mm. 
Mm. It's there's sort of there's a point at which it's like a sports game and you're you know you're sort of you know in and you're going for mm. the team and then there's a bit where it starts to suck your soul out of your body and make you feel poisoned. Yeah, I think from what I've observed, it's a little like a, a pub crawl through the sewers of our society, right? <laughs> like first you get drunk and excited and you have uh-huh. a few fist fights in the alley and then you start to just wobble into walls and then then the people Oh, uh, my misspent youth. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't know I was raised Mormon, but it was it was kind of the equivalent, actually. Um yeah, no. so I can understand trying to figure that out. You're going to have to just see I, when you feel drunk but not pukey. Yeah, i got to put myself in a cab at some point. That's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll pin a little note to your clothes and say, <laughs> if I'm too involved in the election, put me in a cab and send me to, I don't know, the Cayman Islands. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, that's good. What are you trying to figure out, Mike? <sighs> I got up this morning and thought, I feel so well rested after... 11 hours of sleep. Why do I need so much sleep? Abacus. I've I've always... (laughs) I need so much sleep. And I'm just... I'm admitting it here. It's like shameful to need that much sleep. I don't think it's shameful at all. I think your brain works so hard during the day (laughs) compared to most of us. I don't think so. But they have shown that people who are like learning extra hard, who are like in immersion language classes or whatever, have to sleep extra hours. Isn't life an immersion class, really, when you think about it? For me, life is an immersion class, and I'm always trying to figure it out, so I need 10, 11, 19 hours of sleep a night. Well, it's interesting that you should say that, because maybe what you're feeling is the need during the day to stay on top of things. And this, in fact, is our topic of the (gasps) podcast today. I see what you did there. Yeah, I did a little segue. You are a clever minx. (laughs) (laughs) Look at that segue. (laughs) Change, eh? Mm, It sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it. By coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called the change cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right. You can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. So how to stay on top of everything. It is a tough thing that many, many, many of us perhaps most of us, Mm. dare I say it, are trying to figure out. You know, there's this feeling that things are, if you don't stay on top of all your things, they're going to get on top of you. And I'm talking about, you know, exercising enough, eating well. Work. Yeah, staying on top of work. Meditation is a big one for me. Have I meditated? And have I meditated enough? Mm, And Mm, has it been good enough meditation? Mm, Yeah. Um, The housework. Ugh, housework. Have we kept, you know, Have am I keeping my house nice enough? There's always a junk drawer somewhere, isn't there? (laughs) It's usually right on the floor. Um, Yeah, but the same thing with with kids and dogs and people to take care of. Mm. You know, friends in emotional need, elderly parents, that kind of thing. Am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, we can start to feel squished (laughs) as things start to get on top of us. You know, I think... For me, it's like the the analogy of playing Tetris, where mm. you're on top of it, you're on top of it. There are all the little holes are being filled by all the little pieces, and you're turning it, turning the pieces around. It's all going great, and then 
all of a sudden you get one of those long pieces and you're not prepared or you take your eye off for a second and then bam, you've got a gigantic hole in the middle of your screen and they start to move faster. The pieces, they're falling down and before you know it, it's at the top and everything's on top of you and you game over. It's over. Game over. You know, I know what you're talking about because I have watched people play Tetris, <laughs> but I, it makes me so anxious. I literally have never played it myself. Oh, my misspent youth. For those of you who do not know Tetris, just Google it, watch people play. It's very soothing if it's not you playing it. But you're right. It gets to that point where the big sideways one comes down and suddenly everything's piling up and it is catastrophe and my heart like leaps out of my body. It's awful. And it's a lot like the feeling of trying to stay on top of everything. It really is. Yeah. For I mean, me, it's just overwhelmed, flooded, defeated. At first I get really anxious and I try and I try and then I just get tired and drained and stop moving at all and go into complete despair yeah like it's almost like you're sort of you're then you then you're trying to play catch up and there's not even the satisfaction of i'm on top of things you're just frantically throwing pieces wherever yeah exactly and you catch up on everything and you get to it you're just like i'm on top of everything i am so exhausted and then they start to pile up again yeah and just when you think you've got it all solved then you get a square piece out of nowhere and that's it that's it's, just the end of that. That's the end. Yeah. I don't know if I can even go on. Ro, help me. <laughs> Let's try and figure this out. Let's try and figure this out. Because as you know, in this podcast, we help people from the bewilderment that we've just been discussing into bewilderment to their true wild selves and their wild nature. Yeah. There's, speaking of nature, you know, one of the things is that nothing in nature runs like, like these sort of Tetris-style games. Nothing mm. demands that it, like... The trees out there aren't trying to keep up with anything. The animals aren't trying to stay on top of their lives, so far as I know. They look pretty mellow to me. Nothing fits neatly and nothing nothing needs to. (laughs) And it's like we have this weird idea in our heads that everything should be ordered. When I used to teach art at Harvard, you can drink because I said Harvard. Um, One of the things that the professor I worked with would always tell people when they were doing landscape or portrait or anything is don't make things line up neatly that is not the way things look they don't line up neatly and and yet he used to say we have an ineluctable tendency to go for arithmetic progressions you know mm. equal spaces equal timing equal and 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 have it clean cut and he's he just the hardest thing is to come from our culture and draw something that actually picks up the non-alignment of nature which is so much more beautiful and long-lasting. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about how the culture kind of distorts that that natural order. Yeah, well, the first thing I think of is, you know, the, the cultures that we've described as weird, um, economists, sociologists call them weird. It stands for... Um, Western. <laughs> Western, that's it. Educated, industrialized, rich, developed countries. And so those are the Western civilizations and the colonies and and the whole push toward colonization was happening at the same time as people got really obsessed with controlling nature and like the court of louis the 14th you know no flower was allowed to grow at an Mm. angle that wasn't perfectly right angled like all the all the bushes were trimmed to absolute smoothness and absolute symmetry chaos must be civilized oh yes and there are descriptions you know if you look at like the grim fairy tales or whatever grim's brothers i mean not 
They're all <laughs> grim. They're all pretty grim. But it's like they describe things like wolves and forests and things as hideous. You mm. read that a lot, that it's hideous if it's not perfectly trimmed and ordered. And it's almost like there was this terrible fear of nature being a place of, of savagery and we have to control, control, control. Which I'm sure is born of fear of, of nature, right? I think we might yeah. have even talked about this before that, you know, if you can't, what what did our dear leader say about you sweeping the forests? Oh, yeah. If we just swept, raked the raked leaves. the forest the way they do in Finland. Yes. We would have no forest fires in California. Yeah. And Easy this, solution. I'm like, thank God. Why are we not thank God. Oh, my God. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a fear of the unknown that we have turned into this this mentality of, of civilizing. It will be civilized, and it's the colonial mentality as well. Yeah. You know, go out and civilize the savages. Yeah. And, um, you know, to be. that nature culture thing, I'm sure we've talked about it before, just that that's a huge dichotomy in our yeah. thinking. It's, it's nowhere more obvious than in the issue of trying to order our lives so that they're absolutely perfect and right-angled and set within grids and everything. And I, I was talking about this as being a purely enlightenment phenomenon, you know, coming from the 18th century. But you, classics girl, mm. brought up the fact that it it's goes way way, way back for yeah. than that. I mean, I think the, you know, I was talking to you about ancient Greece and the idea of the city-state was very much something built on, on Apollo, Apollonian order against, you know, um, Dionysian chaos and, right. and that sort of the danger of the bacchanalia and all that sort of thing that we've talked about before, I'm sure. And, um, you know, so in there it was, it was the same thing. Yeah. The so state got... will be ordered out there is the wild beyond the cities. Right. Limits. Right. And that's a civilization good, nature bad. And that sort of, I don't know, it got driven underground during the Middle Ages because of obsessions with religion and whatever. But then the whole push of the Enlightenment was we're going to come out of the sort of mystical worldview or the religious theocracy and we're going to go back to what the Greeks had and we're going to make it even more linear and even more perfect. And, and what's something that we can tell about all these societies who believed in this? This is what we realized when we were chatting about this prior to the recording. It just so happens that I once worked with a professor at Harvard who is Great. the world's greatest authority on slavery. And I noticed as we were talking about all the societies that are obsessed with controlling nature, they all had slaves. Check it. Yeah. And why did they all have slaves? Because you have to have an unlimited free workforce to even try to make it look like your life is completely ordered. You have to have a massive group of people working for free to make you think that you're on top of it all. Right, that that you can like create this edifice of um, culture, yeah, right angles, Tetris, Tetris life, Tetris life. The slaves are like hauling in those <laughs> L-shaped <Right>. things. <laughs> it's not funny. It's not funny. It was not a funny situation. But the Tetris idea is kind of funny. I have to say, but I, um, I'm not laughing at the concept of slavery. Oh, I don't. I hasten to add. I just was. I got worried. Will people think? Laughing at slavery. No, for the record, let me just state, I am categorically against slavery. I am <laughs> I just so can't stop laughing because it's glad to know that about you. Mm. It reminds me, though, about um, the course I was teaching with this professor was on Caribbean society. And where was the... that that you were teaching it again? Sorry. Oh, it was at this uh, university where I went. Oh, just for a while. just some university. Cool. Yeah, got it. Yep. It's called Harvard. Harvard. Yes. Drink. Um, but. What what you'd read as as you read the accounts of the slaves who were being set free by emancipation in various different um, islands of the Caribbean, 
they would they would be replaced the the slave system would be replaced by a system of overseers and supposedly they were working but they had to go by the clock suddenly they had to punch a clock and one of the sayings in Haiti was the white man's wrist shackles have been replaced by his wrist watches hmm so yeah. they saw the the obsession with time and with doing certain work at a certain time as being akin to their total captivity Right. And they saw white people as being enslaved in their own way. So again, what we're seeing is this this sort of the efforts that we go to in this culture to overcome nature in order to maintain yeah. this sort of imagined ideal yeah. of, of culture as something that's made of right angles. Yeah. And I think maybe, you know, this need to stay on top of everything, um, it maybe reflects our need to control the universe, to control our lives. Because, 100%. you know, when the, when the church was controlling everything and all you had to do was keep the, do what the priest said and live a good life and stay in your place in society and then die young of plague or whatever. Mm. It was like, okay, God will control everything. I got a bit of that growing up Mormon. Or gods, if or we gods. go back further. Yeah. <laughs> But um, see ceremonial headdress above. Um, <laughs> but see top hat right now, right angles. I don't think it's a, a coincidence that right at the time when the Enlightenment was sort of mowing down the idea of a religious basis for everything, they were also um, starting to measure everything and, and become very scientific about the world. And this is when Laplace, the great ma mathematician, showed his theory of everything to Louis the Fourteenth, I believe it was. It's me up trying to figure everything out with my calculator. Yeah, and um, the king, I don't think it was Louis the Fourteenth. I don't know who it was. But it was a French king, and he said, well, where is God in your equations? And Laplace said, I have no need of God in my equations. So they let go of sort of the tyranny of the religion. But what are you doing then? You're just ticking down toward entropy and you know as the Tibetans say that death is certain and the hour of death is uncertain and I think that creates a massive anxiety and there's something about that anxiety in our locking into things. We got to stay on top of everything. It's our illusion that we can control everything. It's almost a, a colonial thing. I will civilize my life. I will civilize these pieces of my life. Right. Yeah, like go and they talked about it really explicitly. Like the forests must be cleared. Yeah. The it, it, your calendar must be set very rigidly. It was I do think it was a compensatory thing as people let go of thinking that prayer would work, for example. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's so ironic because it's sort of that feeling of impending chaos is a consequence of trying to outrun chaos in the first place. You know, you're setting up these these um, artificial right angle systems in a world that has doesn't have that, like you were saying with the drawing. Yeah. It's not how nature functions. And so <laughs> what we get is this sense of being chased by chaos yeah. as we try to hold it at bay. It's like the monsters in the forest are chasing us again, but now they're made of the obsession with order that we carry in our own minds. It, it turns on that same amygdala response that goes, something's after me, and right. it's always after me. And it always will be. <laughs> always will be, folks. Enjoy. So, yeah, both of us have felt this a lot. Yeah. And, um, for example, you told me about the time you humbly set out to eliminate AIDS in the third world. Oh, you know me. I like to stay busy before lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think this was a time where I, I felt like things got on top of me a lot, and it was particularly noticeable because I was living 
in quite a foreign country. Um, So I I went to Thailand as a volunteer when I finished my um, master's degree at Melbourne University. (laughs) Whoa, drink, drink. Um, And I I was there working in an HIV AIDS organization that was a Thai organization. And many of the people I went over with on this volunteer program were all working at the UN. So it was a very expat heavy sort of environment but I uh, <laughs> I moved into an apartment in an apartment building that was called Brad Pitt House. Of course it was. It was really like quite shambolic apartment building that had a bit of a cockroach problem and you know you used a combination lock to lock your apartment So it's like a pit but when you put Brad in front of it it sounds better. Honestly the, there was a guy from Hawaii who was married to a Thai woman who ran the, the place and he had called it Brad Pitt House. He explained to me very with great devilish delight at his own wit because people Google Brad Pitt all the time, right? So as you know, you're sitting at your home in San Diego, you Google Brad Pitt, somehow Brad Pitt house appears and you think, I want to live in the outer suburbs of Bangkok. Of course, as long as it's in Brad Pitt house. Exactly. (laughs) So there I was in Brad Pitt house, 27 years old, um, heading out to work every day by walking to the end of my street where the canal was and jumping on a boat that wouldn't stop at the little pier at the end of my street. Oh, my God. It slow. Talk about get on top of things. So what I do, I'd, 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 this is not relevant really, but I would roll up my pants because um, but there's this big like bow wave that you get as, it, as the boat comes up. And I will say the canal, um, you will often see dead monitor lizards floating in there, dead um, dogs. Like, you know, the, there's a lot of stray dogs in Bangkok. Um, a lot of... Fecal matter things. flows in there. It's 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 a bit on the nose. Oh, kids swim, kids swimming in there. <laughs> and, oh, um, that's the, the worst it's of all. Quite, it's quite. There's and there's an odor of of that canal. And so the the boat comes. The bow wave hits me. I leap onto the boat as it slows, and I sit down on this boat that's full of. It's a, like a sort of ferry, but it's just got all these rows of seats and. Um, there was often a baby. This is the, this was the hardest thing about my life in Thailand. There would often be a baby um, in one of the with, with its mother on um, one of the seats in front of me, and the little head would be facing towards me. And I love babies, and I would be like, "Hello!" And I would be waving the one white person <laughs> on this boat of commuters. And I tell you what, there was not a baby I saw in that year in Thailand that did not take one look at my giant pink face and just start screaming. <laughs> <laughs> and so I get off the boat. I get on a like little truck that you had to pull over on the highway, and then I'd get into work. And um, and you know it's a it's a Thai office, and there's a lot of cultural stuff that you have to be aware of. And these things include how rude it is to sneeze. Oh no no wait not sneeze blow your nose ah very rude to blow your nose. And I got sick a lot that year, so I would run away and hide by my nose. You couldn't. Point your have your feet pointing at other people, um, and all these things were really offensive. One of the tricky things was that um, you you shouldn't ever like have your head above anyone who's senior 
to you. And this was tricky for me because I was the tallest person and the most junior person in the office. And so I was like, there was a sort of hunchback thing. that Staying on top by crouching down. And literally this is just the, like the atmospherics of the year where I felt like my Tetris game was, was going to hell in my life because, you know, <clears throat> any one of those things could pile on me. And then the work that I did was unmanageable and I would just sort of, oh, I'd rush home, I'd feed, I took it on myself to feed the stray dogs in my street and keep their territory, you know, and there'd be all of that. I'd I'd try and have a shower to get the smell of the canal off my skin. Oh. And then I would go and um, jump on the back of a, a motorbike taxi and go to have a drink with some of the volunteers that I knew. And it was just, I felt like I was coming out of this foreign world and they had been working in the gleaming UN buildings with this amazing international glamorous crowd. And I would just feel like everything was on top of me and I just... Yeah, you start to compare yourself then with others as well. And they all seem to be more on top of it than you are. But, you know, like when you're in a foreign country, it really is clear how much you're trying to stay on top of because it's not natural. It's not like inbred from one month old. Well, that's it. And just the impact of culture and cultural expectations. Right. They're not they haven't been trained into you early. Yeah. The level of stress that they you have create. to do it consciously. It's yeah. not. It's not bred to the bone. Exactly. Yeah, I, I'm just trying to figure out how to keep my feet from not pointing at someone. I, oh, I exactly. like, can't even go there. And then you, you once you realize you've done it accidentally, like unconsciously, just gotten out a Kleenex and blown your nose, and and just the silence in the office. It's oh, everything starts oh, piling yeah. up. Yeah, I've had that exact experience. Well, not exactly, but I've had very similar experiences in foreign cultures. Just yeah. finding out I was not on top of it when I should have been. Yeah, it's hard oh. to stay on top of it sometimes. What's a what's a time where you haven't felt on top? Ah, uh, well, for me, the 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 apex of this came when I was <laughs> when you were twenty seven. You were trying to heal AIDS in the third world. When I was twenty seven, I was just whelping out children like there was no tomorrow. <laughs> And um, so I had three of them, and I was trying to get my doctorate, and I was trying to teach while I did that to earn money. Overachiever. And I had really bad fibromyalgia and a whole lot of other illnesses, and I couldn't, I was in a back brace, so I couldn't like bend down. And I just remember children create what I, I would always think it's the sedimentation rate here is beyond belief because they're always throwing things, dropping things, meth- messing things oh, up. So they're literally creating sediment yes, on the floor. Yes, literal <laughs> sediment. Like geologists study the way sand piles up. I would look around and I would be like knee deep in crap my kids threw on the floor. It was literally getting on top of you. <laughs> literally. And then kind of like you in the office, because of my back brace, Uh, Every few hours, I would get down on my hands and knees and crawl all over the house, putting objects on chairs and tables. (laughs) Then I would haul myself up by a door frame until I was in a standing position and then go put it all away, by which time my children would have sedimented the house up to my knees again. It was, I was not, I was not on top of it. I feel stressed just hearing about that. Yeah, fun ways to spend your 20s, guys. <laughs> With Ro and Marty. Ooh. So, all right. So that's the, we've kind of sketched out a kind of cultural framework. Horror. For, yeah, the horror, the horror. Oh, horror. Um, what, what about, that's the consensus. The consensus yeah. is stay on top of nature. <laughs> yeah. um, make right angles, make a Tetris board of your life. So how do we come to our senses, Marty? Like, how do we come back to nature? You know, my very favorite um, way of conceptualizing this, the one grace of my struggles to live abroad was that I encountered um, Taoism. 
And I'm going to tell you a little story from Taoism. First of all, like people think Confucianism is a religion. It's not. It was just a, a set of social codes that were so tiny, explicit, like every single thing you did had to be exactly according to the rules. And people got so sick of it because they couldn't keep on top of it. And Taoism came out of that kind of a rigid thing, and it went completely the other way. Is because Taoism Chinese as well? Taoism, it, it, the word Tao means the way. And Taoism is just, you follow the way of things. So um, it's very fluid. It's very natural. And they started making those beautiful Chinese paintings where the people are really tiny and the wilderness is huge and beautiful. And um, here's my favorite story about Taoism. Tell me. They tell told me a lot of little stories, and they were always like digs at Confucianism. <laughs> so it's always a group of Confucianist like a story scholars. With an agenda. It's like, you know, a rabbi, a priest walk into a bar. <laughs> no, in China, it's always a group of Confucian scholars are walking along and they see being stupid, being being very much on top of everything. All oh, right. <laughs> so this one story, they're, they're walking by a big river and they come to a huge waterfall and there's lots of white water and they're admiring the, the, the immensity of the waterfall when they see a body bobbing around under the waterfall and ordinarily this wouldn't bother them because they're Confucianists and all they care about is the rules but in this case there are rules about how to deal with a dead body and they were like we have to do the rules how do we get the body out right so they didn't know what to do and they were like calculating and strategizing thank you George W they were strategizing about how to get the body out and give it a proper ritual burial when a little old man pops out of the water, uh, you know, near them. Different man, same man. Same man. Oh. Towels himself off, starts heading home to the village. And they run after him and they say, how did you do that? How did you survive that? So he went over the waterfall. He was under the waterfall. Like the waterfall, we don't know where he came from. He oh. could have come, jumped down, oh. like in the movies. But I think the fact that he had a towel by the side means he just went for a swim. Okay. In this massive white water that would literally peel you alive. Gotcha. So he's walking home and the, the Confucianists are like, how did you survive that? And he said, it's very easy, really. You go up when the water goes up and you go down when the water goes down. That sounds relaxing. It is. And that's, so that's the big message to the Confucianists. Stop this obsession with control mm. and start to go by the, the rhythms of nature. Start to follow the, the power that comes from all around us and within us. Go up when the water goes up and go down when the water goes down. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. It just makes me feel good. Makes me feel good too, because sometimes you're on top and sometimes you're not, you know? If the water's on top, all right. If the water's underneath, all right. Yeah. all good. I feel like there's there's really something there, like in terms of how we get bewildered around this particular issue, you know, is is learning to, to shift from that rigidity yeah. After Confucian um, or our culture. Hey, we didn't talk about Confucianism. I was talking about the Greeks anyway. Oh. Everyone, all humans are going to try and create order, right? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, shifting from that rigidity to fluid, like in the story, wherever the water's going, water is a beautiful kind of guiding thing, right? The the power isn't yeah. in, in the stasis, but in choosing the movement and the variety over and the uniformity, right? I've seen so many people in my lifetime, so many people have tried to help me get on top of it all. You know, mm. I would uh, look, look at things online, download an app, get it all done. There's no organizer. Get it all done. And not one of them said, your problem is rigidity. You need to let go and be more fluid. 
Mm. Not a single one. It was all about, you can make it even more rigid. I remember getting this one book that was going to help me get it all done. And it said, you make lists and lists of things to do and you never get through it all. And that's because you've been doing this wrong. There's one process that'll work. And I was all excited. And then it says, get all those lists and put them in one huge <laughs> list and then just work off that one. That was it the big like revelation. in a monologue. <laughs> oh, and, but there was nothing about, hey, maybe you just go up when the water goes up and go down when the water goes down. I mean, that's anathema to the civilized mind, right? Yeah, well, it is. I mean, the, the thing is that part of the problem with a lot of these structures that our culture builds is that the only way that we, we believe from that same mentality that the only way to solve it is to double down. And yeah. double down. It's not to rethink it or step back, and 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 we face that fear again of if we do think about the whole thing differently, there's yeah. that fear of the wild comes back in. Yeah. So the the question here is like, what would the day be for you if you thought of your schedule not as solid or rigid, but as completely fluid? And that's I think that's confronting. Yeah, I feel a little little buzz of fear yeah, me too. when I say that. It's yeah. like, wah! And I've, I've been through periods of my life where I could do that with my day after mm. my kids grew up and I was basically just writing books and coaching. We have a lot of that freedom. Yeah, we do. Right we now. have it built into our lives now. Yeah. But at first, and even still sometimes, a totally fluid approach to your own schedule is actually terrifying. It is. And I know a lot of you guys will be thinking, yeah, but other people... I can't just, you know, and we'll get to that. So we will, yeah. Flag that. But, but first of all, just notice, like, even in us, we have, like, the most fluid work life imaginable. We're fluid around almost everything except our insistence. Adam, our child's insistence that at 5 o'clock every single day we congregate for wine time. <laughs> I think we've talked about wine time. Before. Yes, of course. So that's the one rigid yeah. thing in our, in our lives, and it's not very doggone rigid. But even to us... The moment you say total fluidity, it's it's like, but I need rules to keep my arms and legs from flying off. But then again, you look out in nature and everything is peaceful. Everything's harmonious and nothing is rigid and it's all going on just fine. And I just, the word that comes up for me is trust. Like Ooh. from a cultural standpoint, I cannot trust myself that if I take away the tyranny of my calendar, yeah. which is mostly things that I schedule myself for right. myself, this time you must work on this because it needs to get done, that without that, there's no trust that I will do anything. You've replaced your shackles with your wristwatch. I have. And who wants to, I mean, you stated earlier the controversial opinion that, that slavery is bad. <laughs> so like... <laughs> But even as we're talking this through, I'm thinking I'm enslaving myself to my damn walk. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like with this way of thinking, the only natural consequence of it is rake the forests and, and enslave yeah. something. Yeah. It's just And it's not working because nothing in nature ever goes without stopping. Right. Nothing in nature um, continues without an ebb and a flow. Yeah. And we know this, like we, we know this as well, you know, that we're all subject to natural rhythms. I mean, most of us sleep at night to have a really obvious one. Yeah. You know, what we, ha we haven't been able to civilize that part of ourselves to just be... Although we're trying. We are trying. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. You're feeling guilty about sleeping too much. Exactly. Instance. That came up. I was just thinking Resisting that this morning. Why rhythm. would I resist it? It's, it's very interesting because there's, there's something, be there's rhythm... And then there's the acceptance of entropy, that everything ultimately gets to slow down and stop. 
And that does not sound good to us when we're in our highly acculturated, wristwatch-obsessed state. I know, but like, just for a minute, like, I'm talking to the listeners as well as you, like, just those words, slow down and stop. Yeah. If someone says that to you in a confident voice, boy, that sounds good. (laughs) But they don't, you know. They they say other things. I have to bring up a little um, comment about my beloved friend, Liz Gilbert. She came to our house one day and I was busy writing my book. She had just finished writing her 600-page novel in six weeks. And she would get up every day and put on really nice clothes and sit bolt upright at her little desk and chair in the beautiful church where she was writing. Those of you who follow Liz on social media will know that she has, you know, she she strongly believes that this is what you do. Yeah, you show up for your writing the way you'd show up with great respect for your minister or your date or whatever. And by God, you write it with respect. So she came in on me in my usual writing posture, which is flat on my back with my legs draped over the side of in a your, large chair. In your pajamas. In my pajamas. And robe. With my, oh, always with a robe. Didn't even wear the top hat that day? No, no, it would have fallen off. <laughs> um, with my computer on my lap. And she just came in and went, what are you doing? It was, I mean, I might as well have been like um, attending like a children's um, career day, buck naked, (laughs) except for my ceremonial headdress and like doing really violent dances in in my baggy skin suit for the kids. It was like she was genuinely horrified. And that's because like what works for Liz and what works for you are different. And that's another thing that we, you know, that is in the uniformity that we have of the... Um, the cultural kind of model is also that humans will be the same as each other. That's right. We all have to fit equally in arithmetic progression, right? right. Nobody gets to be any different. But the fact is, the only way I've ever been able to write with all the diseases and the back brace and whatever is on my back. And if that changed, if your body changed, you could change with it. Yeah, but I don't know if I would. I kind of like writing that way. But then you'd be imposing an idea onto your body if your body decided that it wanted to sit up there you go that's true again i'm trying to do this top-down control thing where my intellect is going to make a decision and then inflict it on my body and then that's and there's a right and a wrong constantly there's no right or wrong if you're if you're swimming underneath the waterfall you're not doing it right or doing it wrong you're just suffering or not suffering and you suffer to the extent you don't relax yeah Yeah, exactly. So this idea of rhythms, right? Can I ask you a question? Have you ever been body surfing in the ocean? You Aussie, you. I have, yeah. Have you ever been body surfing when a wave catches you and really like picks you up like a giant hand and like beats you against the bottom and your arms and legs are falling off, as I said earlier? I, I have asked so many people about this, but I've never asked you. What do you do when that happens? I love that. Feeling. I do too. Yeah, I mean, I've I've I got myself really properly injured that way once. Like I I got like scratched along the bottom of the ocean and got some skin off my face and everything. But yeah. And I mean, what is your reaction when you realize the wave is in total control and I am complete like a ragdoll limp? Yeah. I, this is what you and I both do, and we've never talked about this. We no. didn't even prep for it or anything. No. But it's so interesting because I've asked dozens of people that, and they say that is the most horrible experience. I've never body surfed since that's happened to me. I know. And then the ones who were brave enough to keep going in 
Nine out of ten will tell me you just fight with every ounce of strength you have to keep Good your luck body with that. straight and rigid, straight and rigid. And, and, and they hate it. But I've got to tell you, at the moments when waves have caught me and picked me up and started pounding me against the bottom and scraping my skin off and everything, I relax so completely. And I feel this tremendous delight. Mm. Like it's joyful to give up control. Yeah, it's like fully realizing what is true all the time, which is control is an illusion. This is true, except on airplanes where I alone keep the plane in flight by pulling upward on the arms of my chair. <laughs> Thank um, God you do, man. No, it's, you're absolutely right. Like that, I think when the wave takes me, it's, I give myself permission to go with the rhythm of, of nature. I go into the wave itself and all of nature occurs in waves. And when I relax into the wave in some odd way, um, I believe that whether it kills me or surrenders me, I'm, I'm finished. I don't have to do anything right then. And it's blissful. Maybe it's like a, an easy way to get into that witness like maybe mode. Maybe, maybe that's why people love extreme sports so much. I mean, it feels a little different for me skiing. Like, I hit a river once and bounced into a tree, and that wasn't as much fun. Mm. Anyway, um, I want to talk about this rhythm thing. Um, in, in our coaching program, Wayfinder Coach Training. Wayfinder Life Coach Training. Oh, I can never remember. <laughs> I'm going with the rhythm of what I'm feeling <laughs> so I'm here. sorry, I'm sorry. Wayfinder Life Coach Training. The whole thing is, about, uh, is based on a model of change, how we're always changing. And in Western culture, we want to change in a linear way. We want to start small, weak, and vulnerable and get progressively stronger and more in control. And we fight to maintain that illusion. We fight it on Instagram. We fight when we're talking to friends at parties. But the truth is, no one changes that way. There's always a cycle, like the cycle of seasons. Mm -hmm. There's a death and rebirth cycle where you let go of your old identity. Anytime a major change happens in your life, your identity has to let go of the old model. And then you go through a period of feeling very chaotic. Then your dreams start to come in, like uh, both night dreams and daydreams, you start to imagine a different future. Then you enact the different future that feels good, and then you perfect it. And then, sure as you're born, something else, another wave of change will come in, and you'll do it all again. But each time you go around, you go forward, like in a screw, mm. like a vortex mm -hmm. pattern. Mm -hmm. So there's that rhythm, this rhythm of change. And if, when I stopped fighting that, my whole life just became doable for the first time. And it's so you know, interesting just to, to do that reframe of it's not something you do. You don't decide, now I'm going to go into the dreaming part of it. No. no. It happens to you like you, the waves got you. It happens like the crocus is pushing up right. under the snow in the, in the spring around our house. And then there are, so there are these big, big rhythms, mm -hmm. but then there are very well-known sort of minor rhythms that we, science knows about them, but we don't really honor them. Circadian mm. rhythm. Right. You know, again, why do I sleep so much? Mm -hmm. Why don't I sleep? Without medication, I don't fall asleep till three in the morning. Um, with medication, I can fall asleep like at a time that is deemed appropriate <laughs> by the culture. Right. But I've been fighting my bio clock my whole life. Did you yeah. have that same thing with circadian? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm. I mean, we're both insomniacs, and I was terrible. Like, ter I had a terrible time with school because of 
insomnia. Yeah, you're all to... supposed to need the same amount of sleep at the same time. And teenagers, they know, get in all kinds of car accidents as they're driving to school because teenagers need to sleep later in the day. We know this. Why don't we let them go to school later and maybe not get killed? Because farming schedules demanded that they be home to help with the harvest by 2 in the afternoon. And then what we get stuck with right now is because that's how it's done. Yes. And that's what we worship. And that's most of culture right there. There it is. So what about ultradian rhythms? This is something else that is, you taught me about, which well, I find fascinating. I basically read out loud something I was reading on it from a Harvard Business Review. And it's about um, this thing called ultradian rhythm, which is a surge, a sort of surge and release of energy that goes on throughout the day about every 90 minutes. So you'll have a so nice... this is a natural thing, like a circadian rhythm. Yeah, and it's everybody has it. Yep. So you'll feel really energetic for maybe an hour to an hour and a half. And then if you, if you use your energy, it will start to, to ebb away, and you'll have about an hour to an hour and a half of wanting to be very restful and quiet. Then it will rise again, and then it will fall again. Huh. So that's not how we work as a rule in this culture. No, and the guy who wrote the article, Tony Schwartz, um, said that he read about this and he's been a writer for a long time and his thing was he'd get up at 7 a.m. and he'd work till like 5 p.m. every single day. He would write straight through, like super overachiever, barely stopped for lunch. Weird. Harvard, you say? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. That's a familiar. Just noticing that. It's a familiar sound that makes me want to drink. Make <laughs> <laughs> want to drink too, girl. <laughs> But he found out about ultradian rhythms, so he decided he was going to write a book according to his ultradian rhythm. He wrote for an hour and a half in the morning, stopped for an hour and a half to kick back, relax, do things that he enjoyed, then come back for another hour and a half. And he wrote the book much faster in terms of how many days it took him, and he also felt that it was much higher quality than anything he'd ever written before. So. It's so funny because we read this and we're like, let's do that. We have the freedom to. And when we do, it works really well. Yeah, and we still don't do it all We the still time. don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's fascinating. Um, the, the, the weird thing is like the courage that you have to kind of harness to stop working and yeah. take time off, even if you know that your productivity increases, which is supposed to be our goal in this culture. But actually, you know, we get outcomes and processes so mixed up sometimes because we get so obsessed with the, the yeah. process. Like it's sort of like, you know, shows like The Office or anyone who's worked in an office, you know, will know how we can just turn into little mice that are obsessed with the policy, the process yeah. document, you know, oh, update the process document oh. every six months. Oh. And and it, and we, we forget why we're trying to do something and this guy actually wrote the book really fast by yeah r resting and I'm more productive and when I go by my ultradian rhythms but I'll interrupt them when I'm thinking oh I have to blend in with the culture which is like going rigid in a wave or under a waterfall you're just gonna get beaten up and not feel like you're on top of things so it also seems to me like unless you've got like a book to write that there's there's also something that we have to take on in our bewildering <laughs> Uh, of of the choices that we make about right. you know where the the rhythms want to take us in terms of what are we focusing on is it more because we, we'll immediately go into is it more important that I do the housework or spend quality time right. with my child and um, 
and and all of that comes back into the head and into the culture and so you know one thing i love about this that that my mum said to me once is hello mum said uh when i was i don't know i was caught up in some sort of decision making thing and she just said go where the heat is what like it's it's sort of quite obvious idea that whatever has the most juice in it for you at that time whatever seems to be calling you follow that yeah you know and and i found it very profound yeah it is is. and and that phrase she says go where the heat is if you start to allow yourself to do that and i've done it you know experimentally many many times i've never done it permanently but when I go where the heat is, I find these rhythms and they're sequential and they're similar and they're like waves in the ocean, but they're never identical and they're never linear. So I need to stay loose. And I think they knew it way back when because that famous, beautiful line in Ecclesiastes that did deserve to become a song, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. And I think what it's saying is be in the rhythm of nature, that is your nature. For every purpose under heaven, um, there's a time and a season, and if you're fluid and if you're relaxed, you'll know what that is because you're part of nature. Right, and and so as wonderful as it all is, what we return to and what I'm sure a lot of our listeners are thinking at this moment is, well, that's all very well, but we live in this culture. You know, we do still have to go to work and meetings are still two till 3.30 right. in the afternoon. Like it's, so, you know, how, how do we realistically bring these principles in while still unavoidably living in a Tetris culture? I've always been weird. (laughs) When I write and speak professionally, I have to tone it down, especially the part where I believe the universe loves us and is on our side. A few years ago, I decided to just show up online and say what I really think. This became The Gathering Pod, a series of discussions about how to thrive in a difficult world. So if you need hope, inspiration, or a chance to listen to someone much weirder than you could ever be, Come join me on The Gathering Pot. I think it's mainly in the commitment to be willing to feel what's actually happening in in our nature, even as we go through culture. Interesting. Yeah, so it's about, and I always start, every client I've ever coached, thousands if you count crowds in in conference centers, they always need to tune into their bodies to get the wisest information about what to do next. How do you know where the heat is? You feel it in the body. Yeah, you don't decide it with the mind. We were talking about this um, when we were preparing for this podcast, and I just, I, I keep thinking, wow, how simple it is to go back to our intellects when we're trying to listen to our bodies and not even realize we're doing it. Yeah. You know, just that, that you have to really make a commitment to listen to your body and not let the reasoning part override it. Yeah. And and speaking of making commitments, I mean, we don't have meetings that just fall out of the blue on everyone. We agree to them. Mm. So, and there are certain systems that are very, very contradictory to our true natures. And maybe you can't do that in the system you're in. If you're, if it's bad for you, then you'll end up getting out of that system because it'll destroy you. But when you're making your commitments, setting up a meeting time, one thing we do in our little company is we feel into it. Mm. People feel into what works for them. And it's not, nobody's doing it 100%. Maybe we should shoot for that. Hmm. But you can actually say, and in our company, that that feels really push. That's a push for me. Yeah, I've got a class to teach right after that. No, I'd really like a half hour earlier. And people are receptive to that. Mm. And here's the interesting thing. 
Every time I've worked this way in a group, people find the rhythm together somehow, somewhere. It may not be perfect, but it's so much better than saying, we're just going to sit down here, we're going to do it at this time to that time, and nobody gets to feel into it. Yeah. Yeah. So so just for people that this is a new idea to, can you talk us through what that might be? So we sort of, you're going to make a commitment and you're feeling for exactly what's comfortable. What, what process do you go through, Marty, to, okay. to find that? Spot? So the first thing you do is consider the thing you're planning to do at the time you're planning to do it. Look at the calendar, look at the scheduling, think about it, then get really relaxed, breathe deeply and notice whether there's tension anywhere in your body or whether there is an emotional resistance to doing it at that time. I actually, if I schedule a meeting at a time that's wrong for me and I'm not thinking about it and then I let myself relax and think about that meeting, Mm -hmm. I become so despondent, I almost weep. I'm like, I am so sick of trying to get on top of everything Mm. by the clock and by rigid conformity. So I feel a strong emotion and a lot of research shows that our best decisions are not made with the intellect. Mm. When the intellect center is damaged in the brain, people can make decisions just fine. But if their emotional regulation or if their emotional sensation is gone, they can't make decisions. The intellect can't choose anything. That is a huge point. Yeah. So we're actually, whether we think we're using our brains or not, we're actually still making decisions with with our emotions and with our bodies. And for those of you who think this is all mushy, squishy, hyper-feminine, one of the places this comes up most is for football quarterbacks. They found that these guys have to be very bright, but they're actually making decisions about what to do on the field with emotional reactions. So every, and that's in in real time, very quickly, Mm. trying to work with a whole bunch of other guys. The emotional part feels, I think, the emotional part of everybody else. So there's a kind of harmony that is natural and not imposed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So that's sort of, we're talking about sort of scheduling type things. But what about, you know, when when we're feeling like um, we need to get on top of relationships and and more qualitative things Um, like that? You know, again, it's... Go to the emotional part of it, sit with the other person, and allow everyone to feel into it. And that requires some communication. If it's a, if it's a loving relationship, you'll be able to talk about it. <laughs> I never, when my kids were two, four, and six, they would not go to bed. And since their punishment for bad deeds was to go into their bedrooms for time out, I had no, no <laughs> options for how to punish them. So one day I sat them all down, two, four, and six, and I said, you guys are not going to bed. Like you're bouncing out of bed like a jack-in-the-box. I don't know how to punish you for it. What do you think I should do? They had a little conference and agreed that we sh- that I should spank them. <laughs> and I was like, that is corporal pun. I would never hit my children. And they were like, no, we think you should spank us. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So they all went to bed. Adam popped up. I whacked him on the di- diaper very lightly. He went to bed. They never got up again. <laughs> But it it was like the most bizarre scenario. I was sitting here with these tiny people and they're going, yeah, we think physical brutality would be our preferred way of getting this message that we should sleep. I don't know if that proves your point or contradicts your point. point, The point is that everybody's feeling through this together. Our nature, we are social creatures. We are meant to cooperate. And there are many other social animals that cooperate just fine without ever having clocks and calendars and schedules. And they do it by connecting with each other. 
So in the case of, of relationships, and it's it's more a case of feeling what's loving for everyone. Absolutely. It's a loving solution to it. And just saying, scheduling shouldn't be rigid. Let's go up when the water goes up and down when the water goes down. Maybe you need to go, maybe you need to stop, maybe you need to rest. Just saying that is love because it recognizes the reality of the other person. Mm. Where we're gonna do this from seven to nine it does not recognize the reality of the other person as a natural being. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, and seeing each other is love. So th th there's a rhythm that comes out in everything if we s decide to live this way. And the more I follow that rhythm, the more productive, the more loving, the more healthy, the more everything I am. Mm. And it makes me think, you know, about this wonderful quote from Melody Beatty, who was a codependency specialist. I've had this on the wall for so long. She said, at no day, no hour, no time, are you required to do more than you can do in peace. There it is. Peace is what we're really meant to be in, and it's not on top of or underneath anything. No, it's just going up when the water goes up and going down when the water goes down. There you have it. I love it. And that's how we stay wild. Absolutely. So you guys, stay, stay wild. wild. Are you enjoying these shenanigans? We can notify you when a new Bewildered episode comes out. Just text the word WILD to 570-873-0144. You can also follow Martha on the socials for all kinds of ways to improve your life. On Instagram, she's the Martha Beck. On Facebook, the Martha Beck. Or on Twitter, plain old Martha Beck. Her website is MarthaBeck.com. You can also follow me, Rowan Mangan, for all kinds of stuff on the writing life, wordsmithing, and honestly general nonsense. My website is RowanMangan.com. Find me on Insta, Rowan underscore Mangan. On Facebook, I'm Rowan Mangan Writer. And on Twitter, I'm Rowan Mangan. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think and the world needs Wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to MarthaBeck.com and you'll find your way. <laughs>